sex talk. Derek and Miley. Cause sexuality is tough. And okay, sexist isn't good enough. No. Sex talk with Derek and Miley. Hey, folks. Welcome to Sex Talk with Erica Miley. Erica Miley here. So glad to bring you another return guest. I've been on a kick lately, bringing everybody back to talk in more detail about the things they're really great at talking about. I want to put a thank you to Jessica Klein for coming back. She's a psychotherapist specializing in sex therapy and financial therapy. So guess what, folks? We're talking sex and money, two topics people don't want to fucking talk about. (laughs) I am so glad you're here. Welcome, Jessica. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so happy to be back, and I'm so happy to be talking about Sex and money, which are my favorite things to chat about. So did you go to school and go like, I really want to like tackle the things that nobody ever wants to talk about ever? Like, did you just, (laughs) was that your frame of mind? (laughs) I know. How did I get there? Well, funny thing is, is I grew up in, in a kind of waspy home where no one talked about those sort of things. I was just listening, eavesdropping on everything. Who was that? What were you talking about? I was just like this tiny detective. At the time, I didn't know that it was going to head there, but um, I went straight into business school or really into business, no school, and then accounting. And I was a mortgage broker by the time I was 20. So I went straight into finance and it just didn't fit for me. And then I went into therapy and I merged my two favorite topics together. From finance to therapy, that is not a short road. I'm so glad you're here. (laughs) We need more of you out here. (laughs) We're going to jump right in because I know that you and I are going to get down some bunny trails. So this is actually something that I think comes up and I would say a good chunk of sessions that I have with folks and the things that they are most concerned about are our sex and money. And they are talking about sex and money in ways that maybe not everybody is necessarily thinking about. So what are some of the most common issues that, that come up for your clients or, or the people that you serve around money and sex? Mm-hmm. So when couples come to see me, you know, they, they tend to find me to work on intimacy and issues that are going on in their relationships. And I inquire about, you know, the sexual health of their relationship and the financial health of their relationship. And a lot of times those things seem to align. There's a deficit in sex. And now we see that there's some power and control around money and they've almost essentially separated money and are almost using it in a controlled way. So that has always struck me as really interesting that for most of my couples, not only is there an issue with intimacy, but there's a financial issues going on as well. It makes tons of sense because we as humans, we're not good at that compartmentalization like we think we are. Like like when we have a problem with one thing, like if we have a problem with sex, more than likely we have a problem acknowledging other things. If we're avoiding something, we're avoiding other things. So I mean, it does make tons of sense. So when you think about the power and control side... Is it withholding money? Is it hiding money, just not talking? Like, what does the power and control aspect look like? Sure. So, you know, you bring up a really excellent point that we don't traditionally in our society talk about money or sex. Those are uncomfortable topics. Evidently, it's rude to ask how how much someone makes and that sort of stuff. So we have these constructs in society 
And they don't just end there. They also kind of bleed into our relationships. You know, for couples that are having issues in this area, there's a real barrier to having really good conversations about sex and money. And those are sensitive topics. Those are lightning rod issues. So it doesn't surprise me all that much that there's a lot of issues around this when we can't even talk about it in our most intimate relationships. But using sex and money for power and control is universal. We even see that in healthy relationships, though it's to a much smaller degree. I think that people don't even realize that we use them in that way. You know, we've got We've got Valentine's Day coming up. We've got Christmas coming up. And some of the mom groups that I'm a part of, they're like, what can I get my partner for the holidays? And people are like, sex coupons. So we're monetizing sex in a way. It looks really like it's not a big deal. But in a way, you know, we're, we're essentially using it as a currency. And so that becomes an intersection of the power and control in relationships. A lot of times people use it as weapons of control. So there are statements in relationships like, you know, if you do this, I'll have sex with you more often. If you, if we buy this house, I promise to have sex with you twice a week. We're using that as a way to negotiate. And one of people's core needs, money provides stability. Sex is a core need for people. So they really dance together. Yeah. While you were talking about like the monetization of it, it occurred to me, like I was just thinking about the monetization of virginity. I was thinking about the monetization of female identified people generally as they're as a commodity. I'm just like, my brain is like, oh, I want to talk about every single aspect of this and we'll be here for 5 million hours. But when it comes down to like how you tackle the maybe imbalance or how do you often tackle these issues with people? Is it a budget? Like what, what are we, how do we address common power and control issues within our relationships according to money and sex. Yeah. In regards to budgets, and I'll just kind of touch base on that, budgeting can in a way be too much control. We guess what the New Year's is is coming or, you know, when this airs, it's already here. We have a tendency to go, I'm gonna budget and I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna watch where every dollar goes and it's gonna have a place and It's almost like dieting where we over control and then we binge later. So budgeting for a lot of people, that's why they fail. It's not that people are not intelligent enough to run a budget, but there continues to be an industry that sells us on this idea of budgeting. But in regards to in relationships, you know, it really comes down to attachment and values. So, you know, when we're in that limerence phase, there's an even exchange of sexuality. People are more connected sexually. And it tends to be that a partner values that. And and another partner might value security and stability. And so we've, without even discussing things, we've kind of set this relationship up to provide that almost like this is an exchange, an exchange that we haven't talked about or negotiated in a relationship. And guess what? That beautiful limerence phase ends. And we're with a partner where they pick their nose and we don't like this. And it's all of a sudden the reality is there. And maybe we're backing away from, you know, what we looked like in the beginning, being able to provide security financially and being able to provide 
sexual intimacy and connection in that way. So those sort of things end up playing out. And, you know, five years later, they're going to come and they're going to see me and I'm going to inquire about, you know, when was the last time you had sex? You know, a lot of people, they're like, uh, it's been like a year, two years. And then, you know, we're talking about money and it's like, well, you know, what's going on there? And they kind of, in a way, line up with these timelines. And I find that really interesting. So the way to tackle that is really this depth work of noticing, you know, what drew you to your partner. And some people don't like to say, I liked the financial stability of my partner. They don't like to recognize that within themselves. And on the other partner, it might be, they don't like to recognize that they were attracted to the sexual energy. You know, in a way, we're using that as a currency. So it, it kind of lines up. And I think that that is really helpful to notice that and begin to be able to bring it out in the room, which then we work on. Yes, you're bringing light to the, these dark areas that people do not want to speak on or admit to themselves that might actually be important. One of my favorite things to say to my clients all the times is that all the time is that our values are perfect for the person that is valuing it. And if you value financial stability, it's okay that that's one of your fundamental values. And it's also okay if you're dating someone and that value does not line up to address it and say, okay, maybe this relationship isn't right for me. And so you're essentially asking people to compare their fundamental values, which is what we need to be doing, period. Yeah, exactly. These are things we don't talk about even in society. Like there's so many topics that we have now that we used to close the doors on, but really sex and money are still something that, you know, is considered something that we keep closeted. So to connect with that part of ourselves that this is a reason why I'm in the relationship, that's scary for people to be like, yeah, I was attracted to my partner's intelligence level and his financial security and all those sort of things. And for the other partner, you know, I was really attracted to their youth and their sexuality and all this sort of stuff that I was receiving in that limerence phase. And, and now we don't have that. And, and it becomes like, like I said, these are the lightning rods and we continue to not talk about them in relationships. Absolutely. I mean, I just a little, little bit of a self Disclosure here is something my husband and I actually talk about quite often is the attraction we have had to each other from the beginning in our entrepreneurial spirit. And that it really is for both of us. And even when we were younger, we were able to at least identify that with each other, that that was actually an important value that each of us have and had and was part of our attraction to one another and serves us through our marriage. So when you can connect that those values from the beginning, it will it can help you return to things that maybe the relationship could have potentially lost focus from. I mean, have you kind of seen that? People been able to return to some of the things that were actually important to them in the beginning? Yeah, and that's the ideal is to be able to witness these things, talk about them and negotiate if things have changed and see if that is a relationship that still works for them and can work for them. And, you know, how to bring that back into the relationship if that's a core value, then 
we're not going to deny that that's important to each other. But you need to be able to highlight and shine a light on those sort of things that come up in the relationship. And like you shared, this was a part that drew you to your partner. And if that went, you know, like if a recession hit and that went away, you know, what would that look like in the relationship if that was gone? And how do you negotiate that? So for couples, a lot of times there's not an awareness about these sort of things that are happening. And it naturally becomes those silent resentments that build and build. And then, you know, five years later, we've got a lot of work to do. Yes. Oh, eh, yes. Yes to all of the things, all the things. I, I do want to kind of shift our focus to something that we had tackled in the infidelity episode that you were on with me, because I think that this is in particular where we see s- some serious betrayal when it comes to money and sex, or at least the feelings around betrayal or secrecy. And we'll jump right in. Like You had mentioned on that episode about these feelings of betrayal because of financial issues that do arise during infidelity. Let's talk a little bit about that. Like, what are some of the common things that you see when it comes to infidelity that money will trigger for people? Right. So when we look at financial infidelity, it can be as small as, and it could be um, completely far away from sexual infidelity in that a partner is hiding purchases. That can just be financial infidelity. And sometimes we're working through that in, in our sessions. But usually, given that I'm a sex therapist, I'm working with people recovering from infidelity. And in the disclosure, I am preparing the person that was the perpetrator of infidelity. I don't like the word perpetrator, but you know, they're building up their, their log of sexual betrayal and financial betrayal. And then they're sharing that with the partner so that everything is on the table and the partner can hear what truly happened in a structured way and how resources were also aligned with that. Because sometimes, maybe even often in my cases, the financial infidelity is as damaging or more damaging as the sexual infidelity. And so I'll just throw kind of a case out there. Um, A person cheated on their spouse with, you know, what we would call a mistress. So an ongoing affair partner and the other partner, obviously they don't want to hear that, but they, they were okay with that. But in the disclosure session, they learned that this person had been doing things with the partner, spending their, their household money on the partner, whether that is, you know, buying lingerie, It doesn't have to look like we think about in the movies where they're putting someone up in an apartment and paying all their bills. But even small instances of, you know, you took this person out to dinner and you don't take me out to dinner. You you are doing this and you're telling me I can't spend money on this for the kids. So you're aligning our finances with your value, which was to have an affair. And that can be as painful or more so than the actual affair. I would imagine that the person who had essentially committed the affair, I would imagine it's very difficult to have to face these different types of transgressions, if we characterize them that way. Essentially pulling out all of the data 
and saying, hey, take a look at this. Like, are you commonly dealing with some of maybe the admitting of like, oh, okay, I even crossed my own boundaries here? Yeah, there was a recent one that I am working on and the person that committed the affair, they looked at how much they spent. And in a year, we're looking at over $20,000. And if we don't look at it in this scope of, you know, a year, how much have you aligned with this affair? You know, it would have seemed like it wasn't a big deal. It's a little bit here. It's a little bit there. It's a little bit here. It's a little bit there. But then it all added up to over $20,000. So that was a big eye opener for them. You know, it's, it's almost like they could justify certain behaviors. Like I wasn't getting intimacy in my relationship. So I was seeking it from someone else. But then when they looked at I've spent this much money on this person and that could have gone into my kid's college fund or that could have you know, gone into our house. It really shines a light on this is a huge deal. Quick break from the action, folks. Ah, action. <laughs> I just want to tell you about my Patreon. Every week I bring you guests and seriously, lots of sex nerdery. Help me keep doing that by becoming a supporter. What do you get in return? Cool perks. For real. I am going to be doing shout outs, stickers, a bunch of stuff. So check it out at ericamiley.com forward slash Patreon. That's E-R-I-K-A-M-I-L-E-Y.com forward slash Patreon. I hope to see you and see more of you by becoming a Patreon. Thanks, guys. It puts a number to something that maybe hadn't ever been been presented in that way. Um, almost like creating a, a a pie chart, right? Like it takes something that seems kind of something like unable to put your finger on and makes it very real, very detailed. And when it comes to when the person who didn't engage in the affair, when they see things like that, how do you walk people through like coming back together after kind of a full disclosure of maybe all of the, the financial and sexual infidelities? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, part of that is, is the support leading up to the disclosure session. So the party that is in the victim stance of the partner betrayed them. They have a lot of support lined up and they're aware that we're going to be exploring the financial and the sexual disclosures. So I like to really prepare them in advance for that. And then afterwards, as a way of reconnecting, now we're not ignoring that the relationship with finances is often the mirror for the other relationships. So that's part of it as well. And that's part of, you know, part of rebuilding that trust is, you know, financially, I don't want to have to be a detective, but I feel like I should be able to know what's going on with the finances. Because unfortunately, what happens is, is maybe one partner hasn't been a part of the financial doings. They might not be a part of the budget. They may not be looking at the bank. This is all going on, you know, and they're kind of just moving through life and not even realizing that this is happening. So in the dark, really? Yeah, exactly. So what we do is, you know, as we move forward with not only repairing the relationship in regards to intimacy, we're repairing the financial relationship as well and giving the part, the other partner an ability 
to be a part of that and take back some of their power and control and their currency in the relationship. Mm. That's definitely an interesting way to think about it, that being able to level the playing field when it comes to currency in their relationship. And I always wonder, Marty Klein was talking about, for those of you listeners who don't know who Marty Klein is, uh, he's a therapist and has been for a very long time and a wonderful sex therapist. And he talks about how couples will come in and they say they have a communication problem. And his first response is usually, we'll see. Um, <laughs> and I say that laughing because we communicate a lot. It's just we're not paying attention to the communication, how it's done, how, and I think what you're essentially suggesting is that money and sex is part of that communication. Yeah, absolutely. These are issues that, you know, when we think of our family of origins, we're often reliving some of those financial relationships and our own relationships. So we have an interesting dynamic with money and sex. And to not talk about it in our relationships is a disservice to our healthy relationship. And how can it be healthy if we're not discussing these sort of things? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And earlier you had mentioned that it's an attachment. It is an attachment issue. Can you expand on that a little bit? Sure. So, you know, I'm an attachment-based therapist. So I really work with people on their attachments and what their attachment is in their relationship and their attachment to certain situations, because we know that you can be unhealthy in one relationship and not be healthy in one way, or something might trigger anxious or avoidance. And I find that around money is there's, you know, we can be healthy around, you know, the relationship as a whole, and then we're avoidant to the money aspects. And really our relationship with money mirrors our relationship with ourselves and with other people. So I really work on moving towards a healthy attachment and then a healthy attachment with money as well. We have to work on that relationship and in order to have, you know, a healthy financial well-being. I think that we're, when we look at our country, we have a lot of issues with money. We have national debt. I mean, the powers above us, you know, can't even handle money appropriately and have a good relationship with that. So in order to work on it, we really have to start seeing that this is not just a financial issue, it's a relationship issue. And we're seeing that there's a lot of anxious and avoidant attachment towards money. Oh, we could be digging on this actually all day. I really feel like because there is so many pieces and so many threads that are connected to how we were raised, connected to how we communicate about those things. And all of it is, I think, like you said, these two areas, money and sex, these two areas are the places that we probably spend the most time actively avoiding and stuffing away individually in couples and as our culture. Exactly. Well, when we look at, you know, there's so many studies about divorce rates and stuff like that. When we look at, you know, the reasons for a divorce or what people share is the reason we look at financial reasons seem to be the highest reason for marital discord. 
So why aren't we talking about that? Why haven't we grown into this feeling of, of having a relationship with money rather than it's just something there that we need to budget? It's never been about budgeting. It's all about the relationship with money, poverty mindset, and all those sort of things. If we have a poverty mindset with money, do we likely have a poverty mindset with sex? I mean, there's, there's so much to be explored there. There's not a whole lot of research there yet. I think that it's, it's kind of a new thing to be talking about this interrelationship between money and sex in relationships. Yeah, absolutely. Which blows me away. It still blows me away that this, that's, that's a, that is a rock we haven't overturned and overturned it in a, in a big way. You know, I, I, I am often asking out loud to myself, <laughs> why don't we have comprehensive sex education and why don't we have comprehensive look at be- people being able to manage and learn about money? Yeah, it's still missing in schools. I mean, there's a, there's a move towards correcting that. I do see financial literacy stuff coming up in schools, but it's still about how to do a budget and stuff like that and not really about how to have a relationship with money. We see lottery winners that all of a sudden are, you know, 10 years later at the same place financially that they were before they won the lottery. They didn't change their relationship with money and they didn't learn how to interact with that. And they had, they, they stayed in their sameness, which brought them back to their same level in a way because they made poor money decisions and they're right back to their comfort zone. So we don't speak about these things in a way of a relationship to money. And I think that that just kind of speaks to that core issue of these are things we don't talk about yet. And we don't even know how interconnected they are. Mm, Jessica, I'm just so glad that you are out here shedding the light, not letting the the moss grow on these rocks. (laughs) We are so lucky to have you in the field and we are, and the listeners are out there. I am sure they're like, where can I find this therapist? Where, (laughs) where is this therapist working on two things that are just so amazing to be working on? So um, how do people find you in the world? People can find me at my website, which is www.kleincounseling.com, all C's. Or I have another website, which is justkline.com. And I'm available on there. I have some YouTube stuff, but I, I honestly am not that great on making videos. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, I... I like to do blogs. So if you have a question and I think that it would help readers, you know, feel free to go onto my website and email me. And then, you know, I can create some content around that. So I love answering people's questions, consulting with other professionals because they're, they're seeing the, these dynamics too. And I'm hoping to make this, you know, part of my dissertation. So at some point, I'd love to have a book out there about this. Woohoo. Yes. Yes. All the books, all the, yes, all of that thing. Anybody who's listening, any university that's listening, make it happen right now. We need it. We need Jessica out here. (laughs) And you also, I think it's helpful for the folks to know that you, you serve multiple states. You serve Wisconsin, Florida, Hawaii, and soon Georgia, correct? Yes, that's correct. Fantastic. Again, thank you so much for being on the show. And before we are wrapped up, I do want to make sure that we tackle my new segment, Ask Erica. And so one of the things I make all of my, I make you do with consent, um, I have all of my guests do is do a little intro for Ask Erica. So lately we've been whispering or we could sing it. We can do whatever, but together we say Ask Erica. Are you ready? 
I'm ready. Yes. Okay. One, two, three. Ask Erica. <laughs> it's silly. I know. Someday, you know, I'll find maybe a cool little jingle for it. And you can say it. Yes. <laughs> so I think uh, one of the, we could tackle, I would bet, maybe a common question that you would get, or maybe you have one that, that's in your head. Do you have any book suggestions for people around money? I have so many books that I don't oh, even sure. read. Um, <laughs> and then some that I do read and I try to read. And let me just look, look at my shelf right now. I really like The Millionaire Next Door. That's really a book that is about habits of wealthy people and what they do, what they value and how they work towards getting it. Really, it is about what wealthy people's relationship to money looks like. It's not like do this budget or do this and you're going to have wealth. It's more like these are the values that wealthy people have and that might be what people are missing. So I don't have books that are like sex and money per se, because there aren't that many out there, but I do have a lot of financial books and then sex therapy books as well. I like Boggleheads. Those are good books. They're guides to money and stuff like that. You know, I, I like financial intimacy. That's a good one. Women with money. I think that speaking about how women interact with money and really putting that, you know, putting some light to that is really important. Um, so those are things, those are some books that I really like. The Soul of Money is a good one. In a way, some of these become almost the same topic. So meaningfully look at them and see if they're kind of, you know, sharing the same message. But Barbara Stanny has a really good one about women and money and under earning, I think is really important to talk about in relationships. There's resentments in relationships where a partner under earns. So those are some definitely some things to read up about. Those resources are available at libraries. So if someone can't afford to work with a professional, maybe just going to the library and getting getting your hands on some of these books and using them as a platform to talk with your partner about things. Yes, I think that's a, a wonderfully fantastic suggestion. I again, thank you so much for being on the show today. Is there any other questions that we should be tackling? You know, I think it's really about working on your love map and what your relationship looks like. And then add in the financial part of things into your love map. I think that a lot of people think they're separate, but there's so much overlap. There's so much togetherness. There's so much power and control in that, that if we can bring those things in, it can be a really wonderful activity to bring two people together. I love it. Thank you again, folks. Thank you for sticking around to the end of the episode. And if you would like to find Jessica in the world, I'll make sure everything is in the show notes, including all the books that she suggested so that you can find them easily. Thank you, folks. And I hope you have a great week. Thanks for listening, folks. Please rate and review on iTunes. It helps this podcast get found. If you leave a five-star review, let me know about it on any social media, and I'll shout you out on the podcast. You can find my website at ericamiley.com. You can find me on Facebook, the Gram, and Twitter. See you all next time.